Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey runners, welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I am Elizabeth. I am super excited to have you here this week. This week we're going to be talking about post-race recovery. As many of you are winding down your seasons, getting in those big fall races, or maybe you have some big races coming up in December or January or February because there's always something going on somewhere, how can you best recover from that big race effort? Now, I want to be very clear about what I'm talking about when we talk about this episode is covering specifically post-race recovery is both a science and an art, and it's going to take a little bit of tinkering over your time as a runner in the multiple training cycles that you're going to go through over the years to understand how your body responds to different situations and what works best for you. Although there are some best principles and best practices we can go over to help guide you, you have to realize that not every training cycle will require the exact same type, duration, mode of post-race recovery. And by that I mean some races you may recover from relatively quickly. In some races, you may need more time to recover. And that's not a moral failing on your part. It doesn't make you any more or less of a runner. It has nothing to do with your fitness. It just has to do with the fact that sometimes we need a little bit more and sometimes we need a little bit less and that's perfectly okay. But broadly speaking, here we talk about the things that you can do to optimize your post-race recovery starting from when you cross the finish line. I also wanna be very clear in reminding you that it is going to be impossible for me to cover every single possible permutation of things that you may specifically doing, maybe specifically doing in your own training and racing. So if you're thinking, okay, but you didn't specifically talk about my exact situation, right? In this podcast on the show, we do talk about broadly speaking, what are the best practices? What are different ways we can, you know, optimize X, Y, Z? And I kind of even hate the word optimize, but it is impossible for me to cover every single possible scenario. So if you are looking for actual specific, but what should I do kind of help? That's exactly the kind of questions and topics we can go over in something like a coaching consult available with me. You can book those on my website, runningexplained.co, or something that is exactly what one-on-one coaching is for. If you're looking for specific guidance for your training, your racing, not just what to do, but how to do it, how you feel about it, ways we can improve all facets of our running, one-on-one coaching is available. So please check that out as well, runningexplained.co. Me and my team of coaches would love to chat with you and help you reach your goals. The other thing before we get started is that because this podcast is not seven and a half hours long, I do necessarily need to kind of hone in on a specific type of topic that we'll be talking about. So um, there's a couple things to note here. The context of this podcast, specifically in post-race recovery, we will be focusing more on race distances and durations that exceed an hour and specifically those that exceed 90 minutes. Why? Because those race distances are when glycogen depletion becomes a real thing that we have to be um 
to say addressing as part of our post-race recovery. And we'll be talking about the role of glycogen and what glycogen depletion, glycogen depletion does and what it means and all that kind of fun stuff. You should hopefully be familiar with glycogen and its role in our running and racing and functioning. If you've listened to this uh, show before. So that's kind of where our focus is going to be. And that naturally means that most of these conversations, the most of the kind of discussions, the examples I'll be using are going to be centered around races like the half marathon and the marathon. Although you can still apply the things, the principles, the best practices that I'll be talking about to your A goal races of any distance. And that's the other thing too. I'll be talking about post-race recovery, specifically in the context of recovering from the big race that you have spent several months training specifically for at the end of your race-specific training cycle and the race that you then ran to the best of your current ability. So what does this mean? If you hopped into a fun run half marathon that you easy jogged with your best friend last weekend, should you recover from that? For sure. But that's not going to be the same uh, magnitude of post-race recovery if you were to race a half marathon to the best of your current ability, i.e. the fastest you would are trying to run that distance after training specifically for that race over a multi-month cycle. So it, like many things, when we talk about training and racing, like it really does have to do with, like I said, kind of that order of magnitude. Like there are all these principles pretty much apply to all like recovery principles. Like, yeah, you need to replenish fluids after a run. You also need to replenish fluids after a marathon, but you need to just maybe drink your normal glass of water after a 45 minute easy run in 50 degree weather versus I need to spend literally the rest of the day and probably the next few days intentionally hydrating and rehydrating my body after something like a marathon, right? So the principles still apply, but it's like the effect size becomes a little bit different. The other thing I want you to know is that throughout this discussion, I will be using words, I'll be using these words quite a lot, where it's like stress and damage. These are not bad words. These are not words that should scare you. These are just things that happen to our body. When we do something that's really hard, when we do things like run races, we are endurance runners. This isn't a walk in the park. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's a run in the park, but and maybe you did walk and that's totally okay. But this is not the same as some like stroll through the neighborhood, right? You're racing, you're testing your limits, you're pushing your body hard, whether that's over three miles or 26 miles or beyond. Now, Oftentimes when I talk about what running multi-hour races does to your body, somebody inevitably comes in and say, says to me, oh my God, that sounds horrific. Like you're causing so much damage to your body. Why would anybody do this? How is this a good idea? Here's the thing. Our bodies are incredible. They are amazingly adaptable. We can make ourselves capable of doing so much because of our ability as human beings to adapt to stressors, to experience a stress and a little bit of damage, and then rebuild, repair, recover, and become better and stronger for it. This is like exercise physiology and general adaptation syndrome 101, right? If you don't apply stress, you're never actually going to improve. And this applies to everything, not just like exercise related, but like life related too, right? If you never encounter obstacles or challenges, how are you going to grow and learn and get better? Not all stress is bad stress and some degree of damage 
when we run these long distance races is not only normal, but expected and acceptable. So please don't let these words freak you out. This is not, we're not talking about, you know, like crashing down a ski slope and blowing out your knee kind of damage, talking about the very normal type of damage that you are going to cause to your body. But the cool thing is that your body's going to learn from it, repair it. It's all going to be okay in the end. I promise. Now back to what I was saying about post-race recovery at the very beginning, your post-race recovery from your specific race may look different from somebody else's and your specific post-race recovery phases may look different from cycle to cycle, depending on, oh, a whole crap ton of factors, including how long the race was, how hard you ran it, how it went, hitting the wall in a race significantly increases how much recovery time you need. And we'll talk about why that is. Um, And how much of an effort the race was compared to your, let's call it like baseline or typical fitness. And additionally, how hard you pushed yourself during the training cycle itself. So if you were overtraining or overreaching during the training cycle, you're going to need more recovery afterwards. And that actually can be a sign that you went too hard during your training cycle is that you need tons and tons and tons of recovery time uh, after your, after your training cycle and after your race. Because when we talk about post-race recovery, we are talking about recovering from the race effort itself. Yes, but we're also talking about recovering from the entire training cycle that preceded it. The multiple months of dedication and time that you spent increasing your volume, increasing your intensity, going to bed early, sacrificing social commitments with your friends, the emotional toll, the psychological toll that training for these races can have. And everybody has a different degree of this, right? You might say, I mean, I just trained for this race and like, you know, it didn't feel like that much of a, you know, that much of an impetus into the rest of my uh, enjoyment of my life. But training for other races, you might say, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Like that was a huge life commitment. That was a significant like that was just a lot. So you're not only just recovering from the race itself, but from the entire training cycle that preceded it. And again, the other thing to keep in mind is essentially, you know, how how big of an effort was this race for you compared to your overall level of fitness? And by that, I have it needs absolutely nothing to do with pace, but we can talk about general training volume and race volume. So for example, most of you, not everyone, right? But most of you are probably in the place where you could race a 5K most weekends and fit it into your training schedule without needing any sort of significant modification to what you're doing, right? You have the current, you know, uh, capacity for fitness that running a hard, you know, 3.1 miles, a hard 5k every weekend, although still a big effort would not be something that then requires several days of rest followed by a gentle return to training because you have the ability to do that. And like, yeah, it's hard, but it's not it's not an outsized effect compared to the other things you're doing in your training week. Now, I definitely wouldn't recommend that, right? We don't want to go all out every single week or most weeks, um, but that is something you are capable of doing. Likewise, you might be the kind of person who is capable, depending on your training volume, let's say you are running 60 miles a week and you could jump into and race a half marathon And have it be, although still a very challenging and hard effort, essentially be just like a really hard long run workout. You would not then need, like I said, multiple days of rest uh, after it. Although, again, this all depends. 
when we talk about, you know, especially for the marathon distance, but for the half marathon distance too, you know, these multi-hour races, most of us are not running 60, 70, 80, 90 miles a week. And if you are awesome, you still need recovery. <laughs> you still need that post-race recovery. We'll talk about what the elites do because those are high volume runners who take a good chunk of time off after their big races. Um, but this is, this is a little bit different, right? So kind of thinking about how much of an impact, how big of an ask is this specific race on my body? And especially as we get into that multi, multi hour, four, five, six, seven hours, we are talking about a significant time on feet stressor, kind of the longer that we do anything, even at a relatively low intensity, the more demanding it becomes on our body. So kind of some general rules of thumb, right? The longer the race, the more recovery that you'll need. Generally speaking, yeah, if you race a marathon, you're going to need more recovery from that than if you race a half marathon. And also we can think of this again about duration, right? You're going to need more time recovering from a race that took you seven hours versus a race that took you two hours. So those things to keep in mind. And then also, like I said, how the race went. So if the race was very, very challenging, but nothing really went quote unquote sideways, like you fueled correctly, it was very hard at the end, but you managed to do really relatively well and you didn't get significantly dehydrated and you never hit the wall. Awesome, cool. You probably can just transition into normal post-race recovery protocols, right? But let's say something did go sideways. You hit the wall hard. And this can happen in half marathons, really any race that's over 90 minutes, you run the risk of hitting the wall if you don't manage your glycogen and your fueling properly. You hit the wall hard you became significantly dehydrated. You ended up in the medical tent for some reason. Something happened beyond the norm of what was gonna happen, an outsized stressor on top of an already stressful event. You're gonna need more recovery than if things had gone quote unquote correctly. So something to keep in mind. Now, like I said, we're talking about post-race recovery as it starts the moment you cross the finish line, because yeah, your post-race recovery starts the moment you cross that finish line. So what's the very first thing you need to do when you cross that finish line? You need to keep moving. You need to keep walking. If you stop all of a sudden after crossing the finish line, one, that's like a huge, again, kind of like a huge jolt to your body. You've just run for quite a while at a relatively hard intensity and your body's in this like you know, all, all systems on, like we are in, you know, like DEFCON one, whatever it is, everything is like, yeah, we got it. Oh my God, this is super hard. All of your blood vessels are dilated. Your heart is beating super hard. All these things are happening. If you then just stop you just cross the finish line and stop you actually, that's not helpful. And you actually run the risk of potentially passing out. Uh, because what happens is that you stop and all the blood, there's a lot of other, this is like an oversimplification, but essentially like all of the blood that's pumping really hard through your system, except all your blood vessels are dilated. Like your blood pressure can drop, (laughs) like just drop and you can drop down to the floor, down to the, down to the ground. That's not going. So what do you do? You're going to keep walking. Now, most races require you to do this anyways, exactly for this reason. And also to get you out of the way of people who are coming in behind you, but you need to keep walking, keep walking forward. This is going to help slowly and gently return your body back from that all systems go five alarm stage. I just sprinted to the finish of this, you know, of this race that I just ran. 
down into more of a, I can start to calm down. My heart rate can start to decrease. Okay. Things can start to, we can start to gently return our body back to a state of not currently in freak out mode, which is, which is what we want. This essentially starts to function as your cool down. The next most important thing. And if we can do this within 30 to 60 minutes, it's ideal is eat something and drink something. Very important. Very, very, very important. So one, the hydration thing. You're likely, even when even when you've done all your hydration correctly, remember that hydration in races is not intended to be a one-to-one replacement. We're essentially trying to hydrate to the effect of not becoming dehydrated so much that it affects our performance. And so you have likely finished this race, especially a multi-hour race, a little bit dehydrated. And recovery is also a water intensive process over the next few days. We'll talk about why that is, but you essentially need to get some fluids into your body, right? So take the water bottle that nice volunteer is handing to you. And you need to start thinking about getting some food into your body as soon as possible. I don't care that you're not hungry. If it's a liquid form of food, calories, that's fine. But carbohydrate and protein should feature heavily in your immediate post-race plans. Why? Because the things that you do in this immediate post-race window are going to essentially lay the foundation for how you recover over the next few days and even the next few weeks. And if you lay a really crappy foundation, you're going to need more recovery time. You're not going to recover as effectively and as well. And we don't want that. And here's the thing. These little things are so easy to do. All you have to do is you have to eat something and drink something, keep yourself warm, right? So take the space blanket, put on a sweatshirt, whatever it is, keep walking, let your body calm itself down, cool off, let your heart rate return down to not, not running a race level, right? But down to more of that. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm walking here. I'm not running. So these are all simple things, fluid, food, walk. Okay. Very, very easy to do. Vitally important to set you up for success. Why? I talked about glycogen depletion, but we also have to talk about, and I've said, uh, if you're in group coaching, you've heard me say this, that recovery is a very metabolically intense process. I don't know about you, but sometimes after these big races where I've spent a ton of time focusing on my nutrition, carb loading before my race and then really paying attention to my post-race nutrition recovery, my stomach feels a little funky. And sometimes I just want things to get back to normal the way they were. And that's why I take Prevenix's probiotic because I know that supporting my gut health and helping everything feel normal in my gut is going to make me just a happier person all around, but also just make me feel more comfortable in my body. And I'm very much an out of sight, out of mind kind of person. So the fact that I don't have to refrigerate the Prevenex probiotic means I can keep it on my kitchen counter and remember to take it every single day. And yep, I definitely feel it working. And don't forget with the holidays coming up, sometimes our eating routines are slightly out of whack compared to normal. And we might face a few GI upsets that are atypical for the rest of the year. And I'm 100% packing my probiotic when I leave for my Thanksgiving fit trip with my family. It is an essential. And now you can try the Prevenux probiotic and see if your gut gets a little happier too. Save 15% on your first order at Prevenex.com using code RUNEXP. That's code R-U-N-E-X-P to save 15% on your first order from Prevenex, including my favorite probiotic or any of the other pharmaceutical grade supplements that they have available. So go to Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X 
runexp.com and use code RUNEXP to save 15% off your first order. And so, like I said, any race that exceeds 90 minutes and really any race at 60 minutes, especially at a high intensity, you are depleting at a, a sometimes all the way, almost all the way, your muscle glycogen and your liver glycogen. Glycogen is the stored form of carbohydrate in your body. And it is locally stored and then you have some in your liver. So when you deplete your muscle glycogen, let's say your skeletal muscle glycogen in your hamstrings, one, like that's a very big deal for your body to deplete your glycogen because that your body wants that and needs that in order to function, in order for your cells to function, to make energy. And so running out of glycogen is a really incredibly stressful thing to happen to your body. Now, it's also normal that you're going to deplete your glycogen. You can kind of think of it like a gas tank, right? Like as you run and your glycogen, your body starts to use glycogen. There's other forms. We, we use multiple substrates. And by that, I mean multiple um, things that turn into energy or ATP, adenosine triphosphate in our muscles, which is actually our body's energy currency. Think back to uh, high school bio, mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, right? Where the energy comes from. So glycogen is your body's kind of rocket fuel, glucose, also the glycogen is a stored form of glucose. Uh, your body is also using variously at any time in various amounts, things like fatty acids and also sometimes small amounts of protein, right? But the glycogen is a really important one because when we run out of glycogen, our bodies really don't like that. And anybody who's hit the wall in a race or in a long run knows what an absolutely brutally miserable feeling that is. So one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that we encourage runners to understand how much fuel they require during these multi-hour races and really any race that's longer than 90 minutes, but even long, 60 minutes or longer, if you're doing high intensity racing, if you choose to do so, you're at risk of running out of glycogen and then you need to add fuel back in, right? You need to help your body because your body wants to use um, carbohydrate to create energy, especially at these moderate and higher intensities, and even at lower intensities, it's still using it. So it wants to have that available. And so when you are depleting your glycogen, your body's going to start kind of throwing up some like, hey, we're like running out here. Don't love this. But when you actually do get down to like, I have no glycogen left, that's an incredibly stressful event on your body. But even when you fuel properly, you're getting your 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate in during these multi-hour races, and you are still going to, it's going to spare glycogen. Like it's not going to deplete your glycogen as quickly as if you weren't fueling, but you are still going to be depleting your muscle glycogen. And this is part of that, like I said, the stress and damage that occurs when you are running these races. Muscle glycogen depletion is very, very stressful on your body and uh, your body wants to essentially fix this as soon as it can. So the most important thing you can do, like I said, when you cross that finish line is you can start eating carbohydrates to kickstart that glycogen synthesis process. Your body can essentially say, oh, thank goodness, I've got fuel. You've, you're giving me materials. I can start to refill and repair these empty glycogen stores. Now, ideally, you will get start eating carbs, getting some carbs into your body as soon as you finish. You do have, an let's say, an ideal window in which this... <laughs> Uh, glycogen synthesis is like 
optimized. It's about a one to two hour window, but like the sooner, the better. Yes, your body will still synthesize glycogen if you delay fueling, but it's not optimal, especially because what your body is going through in terms of the stress that it's under doesn't end the second that you cross the finish line. Like your body doesn't like turn off, right? You're like, oh, we're done now, (laughs) right? You are still going through an incredibly stressful, like your body's like, okay, you are still using your body. You're still recovering from that stress. Your body is still in this very heightened, aware, like in in an okay way, sympathetically dominant state, right? Your nervous system is on and stressed and working. Your muscles are still like creating energy and churning out waste products. Like all these things are still happening in the hours after your race. They just kind of, it's like tapers down, right? As you cool off and kind of uh, re-enter this like more restful state. So it's not to say that like the moment that you cross the finish line, your body just stops being stressed. It's still very, very stressed. Again, this is normal, but you need to start giving it the tools for recovery. And this is when replenishing those glycogen stores becomes absolutely paramount. So what is the general recommendation here? Because we do have general recommendations for like, but how much, right? It is approximately 1.2 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight per hour in the hours after your race. Now, if you're like, wait, what? So here's the thing. I just want you to eat something. I just want you to eat some carbs or drink some something that has carbs in it. <laughs> I'll talk about protein in a minute. What does this mean, doing the math on this? So this is from um, a study that was done on the in the International Society of Sports Nutrition Symposium. Um, this is regulation of muscle glycogen repletion, muscle protein synthesis, and repair following exercise. Uh, this is very cool. So it's from 2004 in the Journal of Sports Science Medicine. You want to look it up? It's PMID 24482590. So looking at the recommendations for carbohydrate intake following uh, exercise, right? Significant exercise, like running a race is. We're looking at between 1.2 and 1.5 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight per hour. You're like, okay, but the math on that is... Let's do some simple math. If you're a 150 pound person, that's 68 kilograms. 1.2 grams of carbohydrate times 68 kilograms is about 81 grams of carbohydrate. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a bolus of carbohydrate. It's a chunk of carbs, but you're gonna need that and you're gonna need to continue to fuel your body in the hours after your race because you're replacing muscle glycogen that is lost, that is burned, and you're also fueling the recovery process because like I said, post-race recovery is a very metabolically intensive process and denying your body the fuel it needs, the materials that it needs in order to make those repairs happen and not and pro and not delay repair, i.e. prolonging this state in which your body is in this catabolic state, kind of this breakdown state, you're only going to make your post-race recovery journey more challenging. Yes, you can add protein to this as well. Looking at a roughly, and there is some research on this as well. There's a really cool uh, uh, article um, in Nutrients, the journal Nutrients. Protein supplementation during or following a marathon run influences post-exercise recovery. So broadly speaking, yes, you're going to get a better effect by adding protein to your carbohydrate. Like carbohydrate is king, not just protein, you need carbs. Um, But you also want to add some protein as well. This is going to be most important in looking at the way that you recover in the days following your race. You can aim for roughly 
a four to one ratio of carbohydrate to protein, right? So if that's 80 grams of carbs, that's 20 grams of protein. So this is not specific nutritional advice, but this is the general recommendation for what we look for in, hey, what are the kind of minimum basics for that post-race recovery? And like I said, ideally as soon as you can after crossing that finish line. And this doesn't have to be consumed all at once. Like you don't need to sit down 20 minutes after your race and like eat this all at once. You can grab the banana from your volunteer. You can grab a a sports drink, like a, a regular Gatorade or whatever it is and drink that. You can have, you know, whatever it is, like some cheese sticks. You could have some protein drink. Like you can kind of cobble this together. So that you're getting these over the course of that kind of immediate post-race recovery period, that 60 minutes, definitely within two hours. But this is the most important thing to kickstart your recovery process is to give your body the building blocks and the tools that it needs in order to actually start to make those repairs, stop it being in this catabolic breakdown state. And like I said, lay that foundation for the recovery and the repair that you're going to need to do over the next couple of days or the next few weeks, depending on how long you are, um, how long your post-race recovery period is lasting. Now, obviously, one of the other big things that you're dealing with post-race recovery is the fact that you've just done a done a number on your muscles, right? Your beautiful, strong muscles and really your whole body that has powered you from the start line to the finish line. And in so doing, you have, uh, let's say, put your body through the ringer, right? So I'm going to talk about stress and damage. And I'm going to quote here from the journal article on muscle muscle glycogen resynthesis, because I think it's just really cool and illustrates the point better than I could in my own rambling way. Quote, Aside from a reduction in the muscle glycogen stores, strenuous exercise will result in muscle tissue damage. This damage is due in part to the physical stress placed on the muscle, particularly during the eccentric phase of muscle contraction. Side note, this is me talking. This is specifically why downhill races make you so sore, especially in your quads. It's the eccentric stuff. You have eccentric contractions all throughout your gait cycle, but it's just more pronounced in downhill races. Okay, now it's back to the whatever. It's the paper again. and hormonal changes that result in the breakdown of muscle protein as well as fat and carbohydrate to provide the fuel for powering muscle contraction. However, muscle damage does not just occur during exercise but can continue after exercise for many hours. This occurs as a result of a protracted exercise hormonal milieu, an increase in free radicals and acute inflammation. Not only will such tissue damage limit performance due to delayed onset muscle soreness, but it will also compromise the replenishment of muscle glycogen and limit muscle training adaptations, end quote. So obviously what this is saying is that, yeah, racing's really hard on your body. You're probably going to get sore because of the soreness and damage. It's going to take more time to recover in general because the damage and soreness and all these things that are happening are going to kind of limit your body's ability to effectively recover because you've just done something super hard. And again, this is all completely normal, but we just have to take this very seriously. It's normal to be sore after big races. It's normal to be sore for a couple of days, right? Some soreness, some stiffness that's expected and normal and entirely natural. So one of the things you can do in order to combat some of this muscle soreness is very gentle, low impact movement right? So you might think, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so stiff. I'm so sore. I'm going to do a bunch of stretching. Mm, Do not do this. Static stretching. No. Dynamic movement. Yeah, absolutely. Static stretching. No. Static stretching is when you sit or stand and hold a stretch, 
hold your a muscle in that lengthened position for seconds, 10, 30, 90 seconds, right? We want to avoid static stretching in the immediate post-race recovery phase because you don't, the way that the mechanism by which static stretching works is that when you're holding these static stretches for 30, 60, 90 seconds at a time, you are essentially causing the muscle to lengthen over time because you are ripping apart the muscle fibers, which are then repairing in a slightly longer state. And I'm not saying that static stretching is always a bad thing. And if you choose to do it in general, that's fine. But the reason that static stretching does what it does is that it causes muscle damage in order to make that happen. And if you do that to muscles that are already damaged, what benefit are you actually receiving except giving your body more work to do, more damage to repair? So post-race muscle soreness can be effectively uh, addressed by gentle low intensity movement. And this could be something like just going on a walk, doing some foam rolling, maybe lightly using a percussion massager. These are all things that promote blood flow in a very low impact or no impact way. The blood flow is going, going to be what helps with the actual muscle soreness. So it brings uh, larger amounts of fresh oxygenated blood to those areas where you are sore. It delivers extra, those nutrients, right? The things that we need and helps sweep away some of the byproducts, the trash that accumulates, and this can help mitigate and improve your symptoms of muscle soreness. So although I do want you to take your post-race recovery rest very seriously, I don't want you to become a couch potato who doesn't move for 12 hours a day. You should regularly, whether that's every 90 minutes or two hours, essentially get up, walk around, get some blood flow in. And coupled with that, I mentioned the hydration thing. Post-race recovery requires a lot of hydration for a couple of reasons beyond the slightly dehydrative, is that a word? Dehydrative effect of running a race where yes, you need to replace fluids that you've lost during your race, but also all the things that I've talked about, all of this like repair and recovery, soft tissue damage and repair, will likely result in some low-grade inflammation. So if you've run a big race and that night and in the following days, you're, you were like, you're like muscles were like, you're like inflamed, like your body and, and running big races can be like a whole body process, right? Like you were kind of sore and like puffy and you're like, I think like I have like my, everything's sore and puffy and swollen. Like that is a normal part of the post-race recovery process. Acute inflammation is part of how your body deals with and repairs soft tissue injury, but the inflammation also means that more fluid is drawn into those areas, kind of inter interstitial areas, these areas in your muscles, in between your muscle fibers, in some of the cells themselves, like you just need more fluid. So your fluid, your overall hydration needs increase in the days following your race as part of the recovery process. And then after a couple of days, you'll essentially deflame and like pee it all out. <laughs> but it's very important during this time that you give your body the hydration, the fluids that it needs in order to effectively do its job, its job and it will essentially lubricate your post-race recovery and make sure that you're not becoming dehydrated in the process because along with muscle glycogen depletion, my God, does your body hate being dehydrated, especially when it has work to do. So what are our major lessons here? You need to eat and drink 
and occasionally get some very low intensity movement in, right? You know, get the blood flowing a little bit for the few days after your race. In most cases, when we're talking about multi-hour double-digit races, we're going to be talking about taking a couple days up to a week, maybe two weeks, depending on other factors, off from running, off from exercise. The post-race recovery process is the final part of your race-specific training cycle, and you need to take recovery just as seriously as you took all the other things that you did in your training, including the long runs and the workouts and all these other things, because you cannot, you cannot keep climbing. You, generally speaking, should be mostly, I'll say mechanically recovered, like muscle-wise probably within a week to 10 days of even your biggest, hardest efforts. This does not mean that you are 100% recovered from everything that's happened though. Just because your muscles aren't sore anymore and you feel pretty good doesn't mean that like, oh, everything's fine. And there's a reason that coaches like me talk about the importance of understanding post-race recovery, taking time off and not jumping back into full training because we know and research supports the importance of taking taking some time between training cycles and essentially just letting your body slowly reacclimate to training. So here's the thing. You may follow certain people on Instagram or YouTube or on TikTok who are running marathons and the next day they're going for another 10-mile run and the following day they're at the track doing speed work or who are running a marathon a month. Or we're doing these things where in the back of your mind, you're thinking, all these coaches are telling me to do X, Y, Z. And here's this person who's like not doing any of it. And it seems like they're fine. And like, in fact, they look really good. And like, it seems like they're really fast. You are not them. And they are not you. And you also have no idea what is actually going on behind the scenes in their lives that allows them to do things like that, or if the things that they are doing is actually going to be sustainable and healthy long-term. By no means am I saying that those things are inherently unhealthy. We know, like I said, the human body is an incredibly adaptive machine. But we also have to understand that all of our machines are a little bit different. And just because you are seeing somebody on the internet do something which technically goes against the recommendations that most coaches would give regarding how one might approach things doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing is wrong, but it also doesn't mean that what they're doing is right for you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. More often than not, the way that runners get into trouble long-term is because they don't take their recovery seriously. And I'm a huge fan of being, of trying to get you as recovered as possible as quickly as possible. But that typically means being really intentional with the recovery that you're getting 
in the very specific window that it's going to be most effective for you so that we don't have to deal with this weird, long, drawn out three month process of finally feeling like you're normal after your next half marathon. Okay. So just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean you should do it. Doesn't mean that it's going to be something that is good for you. And also doesn't mean that it's going to be something that is long-term sustainable for what that person is doing. You are only seeing snapshots. You are not seeing the full picture. So broadly speaking, what we do recommend and what I typically recommend for my athletes, again, this does depend. These are general guidelines for most races under an hour, taking a day up to five days off, depending on how you're feeling is completely normal. I do not want you to rush back into things. For races between 60 and 90 minutes, two to seven days, right? Because that could be anything from a 10K to a half marathon, depending on how fast you are. Once we get to that point where the race is 90 minutes or longer, so really talking again, that glycogen depletion, because you only have enough glycogen in your body to last you about 90 minutes, maybe two hours, which is, and that's with not being fueled. Um, not adding exogenous fuel. That's why, like, I don't know I explained this earlier. That's why the cutoff point is where it is. And that's why we recommend fueling on runs and in races that are or exceed that distance. Or sorry, that duration. Although, of course, you can fuel for uh, runs and races shorter than that if you choose to. So this is when, again, that glycogen depletion becomes really important because it's more than just mechanical damage. This is, this is, this is a big deal. Typically after races that are an hour and a half or longer, I like to say, see at least four days of rest. And by rest, I mean rest, right? Go on a couple gentle walks, take the time off, sleep in. Sleep is your other number one recovery tool. Hey, what's the best way to recover from my race? Should I do cryotherapy? No, you should go to sleep. You should get extra sleep. You should eat food regularly and you should drink fluids. (laughs) Like that's it. Those are the most important things. Rest, so time off from running. Rest. Sleep, food, fluids, and time. That's how you recover from races. So when we get to that one and a half hour mark for races, we tend to then say, yep, you want to take at least four days off. For most marathons, we'll be looking at at least seven days of no running. In most cases, depending on how things went. And if before you say, that's bonkers. This person I follow on YouTube, uh-uh, nope. What we're going to do is follow best practices based on the principles of sports science, not what somebody on YouTube is doing. And what we know is that post-race recovery is really, really, really important. And sure, you may need a little bit less of it, and you may need a little bit more of it, depending on who you are and what you're doing and all bunch of other factors. But these are general best practices. It's not uncommon for elite runners to take up to a week, two weeks, sometimes three weeks completely off after their big races. Des Linden, who just set the American Women's Masters record in the marathon in Chicago this year, took nine days completely off after doing that. I know she's taken up to a month completely off previously after she won Boston in 2018. Elite runners routinely talk about taking a week or two completely off after their big races. Kipchoge takes three weeks off after his marathons, and then he eases back into training by doing step aerobics and a couple easy runs a week right? The man knows how to take his recovery seriously. There is some research that suggests, and this was research done in the 90s on swimmers. So, you know, we always have to see who, who the research is being done on and, and what it's actually saying that looked at elite swimmers. 
looked at elite swimmers progressing over multiple seasons of their training. And they found that elite swimmers who took a more dedicated post season, because we're talking about, you know, swimmers who were racing multiple times, like in a season, right? But we can think about a season, just like we would think about one single training cycle for the rest of us who were racing that one race at the end of our training cycles. They saw that runners or sorry, swimmers who took a most more dedicated, like an intentional post season recovery of a couple weeks of like post season recovery, little off season kind of reduction in training load, more sleep, more food, less mental stress, less emotional pressure, progressed more over their following training, see over their following seasons than did their counterparts who were basically didn't take that same, didn't take recovery. Those who did not take their recovery as seriously, those who did not take that post-season recovery period, eventually ended up plateauing. So what does this tell us? Recovery is a vitally important part of getting faster over multiple training cycles. Even if part of the post-race recovery process is losing a little bit of fitness. This is the part that everybody hates, And I get it. You worked hard for that fitness. You don't want to lose it, right? This is like, yeah, I did this and oh my God. And oh my God, I took a week off and I went for a run and I feel like garbage. That's insane. Uh Uh-oh, something must be wrong. I messed up. I don't want to lose my fitness. I'm going to jump right back into training or like next time I'm never, ever taking time off. You are going to lose some fitness after you race. That's normal and expected. You cannot maintain peak fitness year round. There's a reason it's called peak fitness because you are intentionally trying to peak for a specific day or set of days at very specific times. If that were walking around fitness, if that were your everyday fitness, we'd call it everyday fitness. We'd call it your base fitness. It's not. It's your peak fitness and you can't maintain it year round, but you also don't lose it as quickly as you think you do. And there are some other things that are at play as to why you feel like hot garbage potentially, or like a little snail, uh, in the first couple, uh, runs or even the couple weeks after you return to training, after taking your appropriate rest after your big race. And a lot of those have to do with essentially residual fatigue that is beyond mechanical. And what do I mean by that? The fatigue that you accumulate and the damage that you do, the natural damage that you do to your body in a race is not just about, you know, muscle fibers and glycogen depletion. And, you know, if you're a little bit sore, you have also created a significantly stressful event to your nervous system, your neuromotor system, your neuromuscular system, your nerves, your ner- your nervous system is like, I'm not going to say that it's shot, but oh boy, is it tired and that although recovers quickly can still have a residual effect on fatigue that we feel because you have two different kind of types of fatigue that we feel. One is called peripheral fatigue and that's really the fatigue that you actually experience like in your muscles and then we have something called central fatigue and this is when talk about central your central nervous system like your brain gets tired (laughs) and I oversimplify this absolutely vastly but yes essentially you are still fatigue recovering from residual fatigue that you may not even know that it exists so that's one thing to keep in mind because here's the thing even if you take let's say a week completely off from running like I would hope that many of you do after these large multi-hour races you take a week completely off you do nothing except gentle walks you get extra sleep you're fueling like a champ you're hydrating and you go back for that first run let's say it's 30 minutes easy and you are like 
oh my God, you're much slower at an easy effort than you were before the race. You are shocked that just a week ago you ran a half marathon or a marathon. You're like, oh my God, this feels so hard. And I'm going so slowly compared to my normal paces. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. You just aren't as recovered as you think you are. Because the other thing that happens with this kind of residual fatigue, uh, you didn't lose fitness. Like, yes, you lost a very small amount of fitness, but by and large, you can take up to a week off of training and do absolutely nothing and lose minuscule, if any, actual fitness, right? Like literally, your fitness is essentially unchanged from race day by and large. So what explains the way that you're feeling if it's not actual loss of fitness? It is this residual fatigue that you're feeling. It is the fact that you are not fully recovered, right? That it can take up to three weeks to actually be really 100% recovered. Sometimes it takes a little bit more too. You are also recovering, like I said, from the central nervous system fatigue. The other thing that happens is that when you are fatigued, your thresholds are lowered. This is one of the reasons why we talk about your easy effort. You don't have an easy pace, you have an easy effort and that easy effort can change from day to day. And even in training, right? Or when it's hot out, you are running slower or like you had a, you're, you barely slept last night and today you had a workout and the effort was correct and that heart rate was in the right range, but you were much slower than you were typically. It's because when you are fatigued, those threat, you're essentially, you hit your thresholds much more rapidly. Your thresholds are essentially lowered compared to normal. So whereas before, you know, you can easily stay in your easy effort zone without a problem, kind of at any pace within this range of paces that you typically have. Well, in that first a couple of races after first couple of runs after your big race, you might be at the top of your easy effort zone pretty much right away. That's because fatigue has lowered that threshold. Fatigue has lowered the point at which you hit that threshold based on the power output that you have, essentially the fatigue that you are still dealing with inside your body. So this is all very normal. This is all very normal. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't lost fitness. You're just tired. The other thing that happens is that we are typically dealing with kind of a, that post, like I said, there's kind of neurotransmitter and hormonal involvement too. That can also influence not only our actual fatigue, but our perception of effort. So it's very important to remember that when you're in this, like, I'm still recovering state, I'm not sore anymore. I must be fully recovered. Not quite. There are other things in your body that have not quite yet returned to normal levels. And that's why we really encourage our runners to gently, uh, gently over several weeks, return to a typical training volume rather than to just take a week off and like jump right back into training. And why we really encourage runners to limit the higher intensity work they're doing until they're at least a couple weeks post-race. Because high intensity work, even things like strides, are very stressful on your body from a neuromotor standpoint, neuromuscular standpoint, and also from like a uh like a, a phys- like a physiological stress point, right? That that's all very it's harder on your body than easy effort running. So if you add those in back too soon, you are not fully recovered yet, and your body, you're kind of like It's like when you pick at a scab, right? You're like, ah, it's supposed to be fully healed. I'm going to pick at this scab. I'm going to pick the scab off and underneath it's not quite healed and it starts bleeding again, right? You don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen. You can think of, (laughs) 
(laughs) Not to say that you're a scab. I'm not saying that. But I am saying is that it's important that you understand what's happening inside your body in this acute post-race recovery phase so you can treat it with respect and get the recovery that you deserve so that you can recover as quickly as you're capable of doing. And that might take several weeks in order for you to really feel like yourself. Now, you might say, but Elizabeth, I've had training cycles before where it genuinely took me six to eight weeks to feel quote-unquote normal. Oh, before I get into that, before I answer this hypothetical question, the whole fitness loss thing. One of the reasons that you do lose small amounts of fitness during this time is essentially because as we are slow, as we are kind of returning to training, the training uh, uh, impetus, the training load, the training stress that we're putting on our body. Like, let's say you were, you just ran a half marathon and in your peak, you're running 45 miles per week. And, uh, then you took a week off and the first week back you run three times, 30 minutes each, and you go for a bike ride. And the next week you run four times, like the training stimulus decreases significantly. And that along with some rest, And that basically stimulates a lot of where that fitness loss comes from. But you should not be losing gigantic amounts of fitness during the post-race recovery period. You're going to lose some. You're definitely not going to lose all of it, right? But you're going to lose some. And what we are hoping to do is that, although, like I said, you cannot maintain peak fitness, we're hopefully going to return after we've recovered and are back into our comfortable base phase or pre-season or our transition phase, heading into our next training cycle, whatever that holds for us, we are essentially starting at a higher level of base fitness than we did before we entered into our previous training cycle. So yeah, you're going to lose some fitness and that's okay, but you're not going to lose a ton of it. And if it feels like you've lost a ton of it, there might be something else going on, or you have not recovered as much as you think you have, or you're playing fast and loose with what it means to actually fuel and hydrate and sleep correctly. Because that's really, 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 really important. If you have desirous, if you are desirous of body composition changes, let's say the next phase of your training involves intentionally trying to change your body composition by manipulating your nutritional intake. Now is not the time to do that if it involves cutting calories. You need to make sure you're fully recovered from your race before you start thinking about those things because intentionally withholding nutrients from your body when it's trying to recover from this thing is only going to prolong your actual recovery will result in a actual in a higher degree of lost fitness and make you feel like hot garbage the whole time okay just keep that in mind all right so what about the the runner who says well, hey, I ran this race and like it legitimately took me six to eight weeks to recover. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that could be going on here, right? You could have just needed that much recovery in this specific phase of your life. Many of us do not live in a vacuum. We have things that go on in our lives. We have stressors outside of training, like families and jobs and stuff that happens outside of our control that is incredibly stressful. That could influence your ability to effectively recover post-race. Like I said, with the race itself, hillier races tend to need more recovery than flat races. Longer races tend to need more recovery than shorter races. And if you have a long hilly race where you also something went sideways, like you ended up in the med tent or you hit the wall and literally dragged your body over the last six miles, hating every single step of the way, you're going to need more recovery than another situation where that didn't happen. You are also recovering from your entire training cycle, the emotional 
psychological commitments that you have put into this race specifically, you need to recover from that. It's a lot to put that kind of, I would say pressure on yourself to have those types of expectations of yourself and to be working toward this one very specific singular goal for months on end. You need to recover from that as well. Sometimes it helps to think of this. I liken that we can use a gigantic vat of analogies should you so choose. But one of the things I think it really helps to compare this to is think about when you were in school and some of you might still be in school. Think about especially college, right? You know, starts out pretty easy, you know, then you have some like, okay, yes, things are really ramping up. And by the time you hit the end of the semester and you've been pulling an all-nighter or two and you have like five exams in four days and all you want to do is like turn your brain off and do nothing afterwards because you have just put your, you're put yourself through the ringer. Like, oh my God, that's it. I'm done. I need to, you can think of this kind of in the same way, right? It's not just about like, Let's say you go to college, this situation, you go home after a couple of days, you get some sleep and you're feeling like pretty much back to normal again physically, but you're still kind of like mentally like not ready. I couldn't return back. Couldn't do it all over again. I need some more time to, you know, that's why they give you winter break. Your body's the same way when it comes to races. It's not just about the physical recovery. It's about the mental recovery and the emotional recovery. So it can take you several weeks or longer to really feel back to balanced, right? Like you're excited again, like you're ready to go back to training again, like you're really feeling physically like yourself again. So if this is you, this is normal. But what we typically do want to avoid and what we try to avoid at all costs, like I said, if you have gone through a training cycle where you were overreaching, where you were doing more than you could handle, where you were not supporting your body with nutrition that it needed, you were not eating enough or you were not eating a carbohydrate specifically with carbohydrate restriction has been linked to relative energy deficiency in sport symptoms, especially amongst female athletes. If you were trying to handle a bunch of stressful life situations and train for your big race at the same time, it's entirely possible that even if your race day went really well, what you, the, the, Cumulative chronic stress that you were experiencing in your training cycle alone will then require more post-race recovery than if your training cycle were of the typical challenging yet everything was relatively balanced type. So it's important to remember it's not just the race that we're recovering from. It is the entire training cycle and what happened in that training cycle and how stressed you were during that training cycle will also influence the type of type and duration of post-race recovery that you need. So that is the episode on post-race recovery. If you are looking for guidance in your post-race recovery, don't forget that every Running Explained training plan that is a race-specific training plan comes with a four-week post-race recovery guide to help understand, hey, what could I add back in? When should I add it back in? And yep, all the marathon training plans have a week off. (laughs) So I do highly prioritize post-race recovery because if you can be fully recovered, excited, fresh, and ready for your next training cycle, take the lessons that you learned previously and carry them forward, you are going to set yourself up for success in your next pursuits. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co.
See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.